Hey there, Collide Nation. It is great to be back with you. This is Steve Grusendorf, your host. And yeah, we've been dark for a few weeks here on the Collide Leadership Podcast, but man, oh man, what a wonderful fall we've had. I really enjoyed spending time with you at the Collide Summit. And we got to hear from Craig Rochelle and Sandra Stanley and Kristen Fry and Robbie Zacharias. And I don't know about you, but it was certainly like drinking from the fire hose for me. And it was wonderful just having an opportunity to spend time with you, the men and women who make ministry happen here in the tri-state area. Well, hey, I'm excited to let you know we're kicking back into this Collide Leadership Podcast. We've got some great guests that are gonna be talking about relevant and fresh topics that are hopefully gonna make a difference in the way that you lead in the local church, because we know it's a challenge for you. And we want to be a support and encouragement for you as you continue to build the kingdom here in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area. Well, hey, I don't know about you, but for me, 2019 has, has been a big year. God has shown up in my life and in my family's life in a great way, and I just wanna give him praise. And if you're anything like me, you've experienced the blessings of the Lord this year. Well, as we come to year, and I, I wanna challenge you to consider supporting our year-end campaign called Impact 50. You've heard from Janu and I countless times about the challenges that pastors face, especially here in the tri-state area. And we are not okay with watching men and women step out of ministry because of burnout or frustration. We wanna be a part of the solution and we're inviting you to join us in making a real and tangible difference in the lives of 50 pastors. Impact 50 is your opportunity to help pastors get connected to the Pastoral Coaching Network. This is something we launched in 2019 and it made a real difference in the lives of 13 pastors who joined us. These lead pastors spend six months together learning about how to be effective organizational leaders and developing lifelong relationships with one another. Well, we wanna see that impact expand and you can join us by supporting the Impact 50 campaign. If you'd like more information about how you can get involved or how you can give, you can visit our website, collide.org. Remember that's collide with a Y slash impact five zero, impact 50. So just check out collide.org slash impact 50 and ask God what he would have you do. We only ever ask that you would follow God's leading, but we do believe God is calling us to make a difference in the lives of 50 pastors. And we want you to join us in that mission. Thanks so much for considering what God would have you do in this year end campaign. Hello, Collide Nation. Welcome into the next installment of the Collide Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Grusendorf, and it's my pleasure to welcome Pastor Miles McPherson into the Collide Leadership Studio today. Ministry leader, you're in for a real treat today as Pastor Miles brings a great mix of passion and experience with him into the studio. He's the founding pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego, California. And not only that, but he's also an author, a speaker, and a leader who's making a real difference in his community and across the country. Pastor Miles, welcome in. We're glad to have you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we we love the power of story here at Collide. So every time we bring a guest into the studio, we always ask if you'd be willing to share just a little bit of your own story. Uh, how did you find a relationship with God? And, and what's one or two things he's been teaching you lately? Wow. Uh, grew up in New York, uh, two brothers, two sisters, went to Catholic school for eight years and heard the gospel through the Catholic school and mm. experience. I left the church when I went to public school in ninth grade. And when I was 19, I was in the department store and these two hippies walked up to me, Charles Manson looking dudes, and shared the gospel. 
and, and you know, you want to wow. be saved. And it was the first time I understood and heard about a relationship, and it just made sense. And I asked Christ to be my savior. I was getting ready to get high. My boys were outside getting high as we as I was speaking wow. with these guys, and I started crying. And I was in spiritual shock for like ten days. I, I didn't get high. I didn't sleep with my girlfriend, even though I was staying at her house. Jesus appeared to me in her room, physically in the room. He just came. Uh, I was laying in the bed, and he appeared in the room and and went away. It was the most incredible experience of my wow. life. But I didn't have any discipleship, so for five years I fell back into drugs. Started doing. I was drafted to the NFL. Got started doing cocaine. And but for five years, I the Holy Spirit said, "Whenever you're ready, I'm going to get you off drugs, and you're going to marry another girl that I met after. You're going to marry that girl." And I kept saying, "One more party, one more day, one more line mm-hmm. of cocaine, one more." And and then after two years in NFL, watching these Christians on the team, I submitted my life to the Lord, uh, rededicated on April 12, 1984, stopped mm-hmm. doing cocaine that day, and um, uh, got back with my girlfriend, who's been my wife for 35 years. Wow. God is good. God is amazing. I love it. God is patient. <laughs> yeah. I'm a living testimony to that, my friend. Yeah, that's... I just love story because, you know, God can use to... At Charles Manson looking hippies yeah. to say, Jesus is real in your life. Oh, I love yeah. it, man. I love oh, it. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's talk up... Let's get into it today because I think we've got a topic here. You have spent some time. God has been working in your life, bringing you a place where he says, Pastor Miles, this is it. This is what I need you to say. And and so we need to figure out how to have a conversation about the racial tensions that exist in our culture today and how we as Christ followers can intelligently and might I even add theologically have productive conversations about the topic. Is mm. that fair? Oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Sweet. So why is arguing over whether or not we have a racism problem in our country and culture easier than actually doing something to prove racism has no place in the persons or context or communities? That makes sense? That's a big, yeah, yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, like we often say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the issue. We, we talk about the issue, but not actually the problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the question is, how, why is it that we... Why is it easier to do that? Yeah, why is it easier to just talk at the problem than rather... Well, people don't want to... Racism is a hard topic. Um, uh, it's very tense. There's a lot of um, pain involved. So people want to avoid that. I wrote the book, The Third Option, because mm-hmm. we live in the us versus them culture. And everyone, when you watch television, you have conversations with your friends, you're always forced to pick a side. Yeah, It's either black against white, or you're for against the police, you're Republican, Democrat, you're Fox or CNN. Mm. And so you're forced to pick a side. And those are your two options. The third option is that we honor what we have in common. So I write about how we can identify all the things that we have in common, which are way more than things that we have different, Hmm. and honor and place value on those things. And so this book is designed to bring us together versus tear us apart. And and, and that's why I'm excited about it. Hmm. That's good. And you're right. We do live in an us versus them culture, kind of a, a competitive almost, if that's the right word, although I don't quite think that it puts the the finger on the pulse of it. But there's always got to be someone who's out and someone that's in, and you always want to be in in that. And I think that that seeped into the churches that we we minister to and ministry leader. I don't know if you find this true in your uh, circle, and that because politics drives so much of what we do, it almost says there's certain things we cannot talk about in the church anymore because they just lead to fights and we don't know the solution. And so we have these problems that arise. So how can pastors and ministry leaders move beyond the political tensions that exist within their congregations in order to begin having more productive conversations about people instead of just politics? Uh, I think we... 
whenever you choose an us for when you because we live in us first them culture when you choose who us is to you you are automatically against them mm. and if you agree with them you are a sellout you betray us so if you're a republican you can't ever agree with a democrat whether they're right or wrong and vice versa mm. and and so but as believers we're not citizens of this world we're citizens of heaven so we have to rise above it and say what do we have in common with everybody everybody's made in the image of god Everybody bleeds red. Everybody loves family. Everybody loves to sleep at night and let the pillow hit the head, hit, head hit the pillow. And I can go on and on about yeah. what we all have in common based on what God has said. And if we would focus on that, and if pastors would focus on what unites every person, um, whether they're from my neighborhood or not, whether they look like me or not, whether they make the money I make, what unites us, the gospel unites us. And if we can focus on how the gospel applies to all people, we can move above the politics and the stuff that divides us. Because if you, once you um, claim allegiance to something that's earthly, you are going to find yourself being forced to agree with something that's wrong because the world is flawed. Politicians mm -hmm. are flawed. Jesus is perfect. And so mm -hmm. I would, I, personally, I try to stay out of politics because especially if you're trying to have a diverse church, we're gonna, which we'll talk about later, you have people in your church who absolutely will never agree with you. Yeah. So if you're a pastor, you need to be preaching something that you that is going to unite. We all have to agree. When I should say have to agree. We're in church because we all want to agree with the Bible. Yeah. And and the Bible is absolute truth. We don't want to be uh, building our foundation on stuff that's not necessarily true, mm. and that's the danger. So the, the book that I wrote was about mm. what are the principles. Uh, by which we can all come together. What are mm. the blind spots we have, and 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 what are the labels we use to uh, apply to people, and how does that make us racially offensive? You know, one of the things I learned about in writing this book was that you can be racially offensive and not be racist. Mm. Now, there are racists. We all get that, and there are people who are racially offensive who are racist. But a lot of times, people say and do racially offensive things, but they're not necessarily race racist in their heart. And if people can't uh, separate that, those two things, if people can't uh, understand and agree, I can be racially offensive and not be a racist. They will, will, it'll be harder for them to agree that they've said something offensive. For example, I've had thousands of conversations. I grew up in a black neighborhood. I wasn't black enough. I went to school in a white neighborhood and I wasn't white. So I got harassed in both. Mm. So I've had thousands of conversations about race. Uh, um, and then when I played football, we had a diverse team where we all got along. My family's diverse. I have, I have a white grandmother, half Chinese black grandmother, black grandfather. So I have a United mm. Nations family. Mm. So in all my conversations, I realized that people who can't accept they can be racially offensive and not be racist, when you tell those people they've said something offensive, they will deny that it's offensive because they are denying they're racist. And so you, they, they, they automatically put up a wall that they can't learn. Yeah. And that is a, is a big um, barrier to having a conversation. Some of the people listening right now, you have views and concepts that you've, about people you don't know. And they're offensive. For example, when you say you don't see color, I understand that's politically correct in some circles, and I understand the intent. But the person of color is offended because I remember the first time someone said that to me, they didn't see my color. I thought they had astigmatism. But they were saying, no, I don't see your color. And I asked them, well, if you don't see, my, if you don't see color, how is it that you know I have a color you don't see? 
<laughs> besides the go, fact, <laughs> going philosophical, on yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, besides the fact that yeah, unless you true. have astigmatism, you see a color, right? But what you just did is you erased everything that comes with my color, the mm. pain, the burden, the history of my family, and all we went through because of our color. You just said it doesn't matter, and so now that may not be your intent when you said that, but that means you have a blind spot. Yeah. So therefore, let's learn. Doesn't make you a racist necessarily. And I say necessarily because some people will say, I'm going to say it anyway. Well, then maybe you're saying it to offend people. That's a different story. Sure. So I, I think that the the book is designed to give tools to people to understand how to have conversations and how to be equipped to have those conversations so they don't go into conversations with their guards up saying, I am going to defend that I'm not racist. Yeah. And 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 that will help people have productive conversations. Well, that's a great point. And we're going to get to the heart of your book here in a second, but you know- you, you bring up a really good point, which is, you know what? I need to not be offended that I offended because I don't always do it on purpose. And if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then guess what? I'm going to step on your toes. I, I remember um, God put me in a multicultural church years ago. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a white boy from the Midwest, which means, you know, church for us, there's, you know, there, was a, there was one black family that, and then we were diverse, right? Yay. So diversity for me wasn't really diverse, but here I am ministering in this church. And I start making all these applications, and, and I'm making applications for a white Midwestern guy, because that's my context. And I can remember this one Asian gal came up to me, such a blessing. And, and you know, <laughs> you learn the Asian culture, and they don't like to, they'll, they'll never speak up to authority in a, in a negative way, but she just felt like she needed to tell me something. She's like, I just want you to know that the applications you're giving aren't applicable, applicable to me. That's not my context. And it was such a wonderful moment for me to go, Oh, yeah. There are people that are coming from different places. And so your point about, hey, we can be racially uh, offensive and not be racists, sometimes that just comes out of ignorance. And, and the wonderful reality is that God, for in, in his wisdom and, and, and beauty, is bringing all sorts of cultures all right next to each other in our in our world today. I mean, we're, we're here in New Jersey, and you, you walk 10 miles in any direction, and you're going to find probably 50% of the countries of this world represented in this community. So that's different. And and listeners, let, can we just give ourselves permission to not be offended that we offended? Because we're not always doing it intentionally. But as Miles said, when we throw up those walls, those conversations just cease to be effective. Because now we're having a different conversation, and the conversation shifts to something that it wasn't even meant to be about, right? Which was about, hey, I accidentally stepped on your cultural toes. I, I offended who you were and that wasn't my intent. But that has absolutely nothing to do with whether we're racist or not. Sometimes there are, like you said, and sometimes there aren't. But let's have those conversations. Give, give yourself permission to learn. Think how arrogant it is mm. when someone tells you that you offended them and you say you didn't. <laughs> and, and what you're saying is that I, in this area, I'm not wrong. I see everything clearly. Yeah, and and that's a very arrogant. Now, a lot of times that's based on fear of yep. being wrong or or, or uh, being accused of something. Um, it's a very poor apology. Yes, because it's not it, one. It is very a very poor apology. It's a masking for apology. Yeah. So let's let's get to the heart of your book because I love this. You say there's a third option. There's another way for us to respond. So help us better understand the idea this i this concept of the third option. Yeah, Joshua is going to the promised land in Joshua five, and he's confronted by the commander of the Lord's army. And he's going to go and, and face, you know, confront Jericho and, and Canaanites and everything and all the people in the promised land. And, and he says to the commander of the Lord's army, Joshua, are you for us, the Jews, or our adversaries? 
if you're not on our side, you're an enemy. Mm. So everybody other than us is the enemy. Mm. And so he says to the angel, whose side are you on? You have two options, us or our adversaries. Now, stop right there. Once you, because we live in an us first them culture, once you decide who us is, everybody else is your enemy. And I don't need, you, you got to hate them, but they're them. Yeah. And, and there's a term we all use, those people. Uh-huh. Okay. They're not my people. You've just created division mm-hmm. when God is about unity. And so, and we'll talk later about how, you know, ways we define who them are. Mm. So he says to the commander, are you for us or them? And the commander says, no. He says, well, wait, wait a minute. That wasn't an that option. Was, that wasn't an option. Is it also <laughs> them? And he says, no. He, and, and he implies, listen, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm going to read into the scripture. There's another option. I'm not for either one of you. Now, I was talking, to, I was saying this, teaching this once, and a pastor came up to me after and said, I disagree. I think your theology is wrong. The commander of the Lord's army was on Israel's side. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. The promised land is God's idea. It's not Israel's idea. And the promise that God said, as long as you do what I say, <laughs> right? And when Israel didn't do what God says, what happened to him? So it's really about God. It's what, are we honoring God and how we're treating each other and what we see? Or is it about, am I right? Or are you right? You being right. And so the third option was that, that, that we honor what we have in common. And, and as far as my book goes, yeah. that we honor what we have in common. And if we place value on what we have in common and we focus on that and lean into it and learn it, our diversity becomes an advantage. You, mm-hmm. you are, you're a human being. We have that in common. I mean, I, I, all your biology is the same as mine. Yeah. You are 99.5% genetically. And by the way, I'm black and Steve's white. Just yeah. for all your whole listen, uh, I, I'm, I'm mixed. I got all kinds of stuff in me, right? And, and you probably have stuff in you as well. You're not just white. You probably got black in you and, and Spanish or whatever. But if you, if you did your DNA, you know what that is. But a matter of fact, in my book, there's a, I think it's in the first chapter, I wrote about a guy who was a white supremacist and he was 14% black. Huh. Oops. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so he, he had to deal with that. But <laughs> A lot of counseling sessions there. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if we were to look at people and look for similarity, look for commonality, we would find that we have tons of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. I can go into a, a class with one person from every country in this world, not speak any of their languages. If they're all parents, guess what we have in common? A whole lot of stuff about parenting, and we could talk about that all day long. Well, there's you know, you know, as you say that there's a there's a story in the Bible that we usually talk about in the negative context, but actually supports your point, right? Which is the Tower of Babel. Because mm-hmm. what, what did God say? If I do not confuse their language, they there is nothing they cannot do. Exactly right, because they were unified. Unified. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So so the, so the book, the premise of the book is how can we move past the barriers that culture mm. and the, and by the way the enemy is the devil it's not the white man the black man the, mm-hmm. the the person coming over the border those are, that's not the enemy it's just we live we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood that's right it's the devil that's dividing us and so if we can learn how the devil has d- divided us and some of the weapons he's used to divide us and move past them and so the book is provides tools for that yeah. how do we have conversations and what are the blind spots? Some of the blind spots, and what does a blind spot mean? Yeah, um, seeing color, and what does that mean? So th- th- there's a lot of tools in the book to empower people to focus on and lean into our similarities. Well, and I just appreciate the fact that it 
this is a topic that's talked about all over the place, and it's talked about a lot in church as well, but it's often come, uh, come at from a very pragmatic standpoint, and you've already given voice to some of the theology that stands behind it. I, mean, I, was, I was hearing you talk, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you read through the Bible, and you discover so many times when God himself look, looks down at humanity, and he says something like, I'm willing that none should perish, mm-hmm. right? You see, you see God not speaking about us versus them all the time. He's not creating various camps. Now, before everybody starts throwing digital rocks at me for my theology, um, he, he does divide eventually, right? There is that, hey, you have to decide in me, just like you were mm-hmm. saying in that story, you had to determine was, whether Jesus was uh, your Lord or not. But there's this vision. I think God looks down at us, he sees humanity, mm-hmm. And then when you ask, okay, so where does God divide most often? It's not believer versus non-believer. He actually looks into the life of the church and says, are you actively reflecting me or not? And mm-hmm. that's the place, it has absolutely nothing to do with race, but actually has to do with belief. He says, look, you can't claim my name, but not live my life. And so I think that's really fascinating. When, when we look at scripture, this is incredibly important for the church to get because it's rediscovering God's language, right? It's God's vision of unity, not not us in the church going, oh, maybe we should figure this out. It's to your point, it's <laughs> go all the way back to Joshua and see what the angel said. He said, no, there's another way to look at it. There's a third way. Yeah, if you look, if you love it, if you read Matthew 25, all the nations are going to be bowed before him. Mm. And when he looks on the earth, he sees humanity. He says, look, I don't care what you look like. If you just trust me, that's the requirement. Mm-hmm. You just trust me. And um, the greatest commandment says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Mm-hmm. And the second's like it. Love your what? Neighbor, neighbor as yourself. Okay. So that means I'm biblically obligated to love my neighbor as myself. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm asking a rhetorical, rhetorical question. And everybody listening, you Preach know it. that. Even, even people who don't read the Bible and non-Christians know that. Love your neighbor as yourself is a commandment. So where do I get the freedom to love somebody? I rename them something less than neighbor. Yeah, that's. So when you listen to the news, and I'm gonna, and this is a challenge for everybody listening to listening. I want you to listen to whatever news station you listen to. It doesn't matter, and listen to the labels we give people. And if 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 there's a label that is less than neighbor, you dehumanize them, and you you disqualify them from being, you, you disqualify yourself from having to love them. So therefore you will allow them to be mistreated or treated less than you would want yourself to be treated. Mm-hmm. You will allow yourself not to have to fight for their rights, fight for um, uh, them being treated fairly and equitably because they're not on your level. Well, mm-hmm. who gave you the right to do that? Nobody. Yeah. That And, and so, the, so when you label someone, for example, if you have a child and you, you call that child stupid, you can't see them outside that label. Mm. And so you apply everything you know about being stupid to that child. So therefore, it's going to be very difficult for you to see them being smart. If you call them ugly, it's going to be difficult for you to see them beautiful. And so when you label someone, you dehumanize them, you prevent yourself from actually treating them above that label. Now, what labels did God give us? Son, daughter, heir, conqueror, amazing labels that come with it, everything about that label. And if we gave the homeless guy on the street that was stumbling down the street, that hasn't had a a bath in three years, if you said, that's my neighbor, you're going to treat that person different. You're going to talk about that person different. Someone Mm -hmm. who curses you out and you say, that's my neighbor. Now you are you are um, setting yourself up 
to love like God loves because we are the biggest hypocrites to think that we can create our own form of love for the type of people we feel comfortable with. That's at the heart of what we're talking about. Yeah. Because it's not only a race thing, it's a socioeconomic thing. It's an it's a it's a you know, ethnicity, different countries, but it's also socioeconomic. You know, if you're if you're at my socioeconomic level, if you if you have clothes on that look like me, if I if I can relate to you, then you're my neighbor. If you if you're if, hey, we're here in New Jersey. If you're a Jets, or I don't know if, if this is a Jet, a giant neighborhood. Even those both those both have New York names, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how y'all deal with that here in New Jersey. But <laughs> but you know, if, if it's my team. Yeah, you know, sure. then then the other team is the bad team. I have to de- delegitimize it. Yeah, yeah. And that's perfectly laid out. And you know that point is perfectly laid out every time the team has a trade. Right? We love this guy until we hate him, and the only way the way we can hate him is by putting on a new label. Because exactly. last week he was our hero. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly. And you know, you're talking, and it go, again it goes right back to the beginning. Great theology. The first sin was choosing our own good, mm-hmm. saying, ah, we know better. God, we can label, we can do it. And he said, no, you can't. Yeah, I, I was drafted by the Rams in 1982 and got cut. And, you know, when I when I had that Rams helmet, all the Ram fans, I mean, I, I was not known because I was just a rookie, but that was my team. Yeah. Then I got cut. It was no longer my team. Yeah. Then I went to the Chargers, and I was on the team. All of a sudden, I was part of the family. And so you, you're right. It's probably That's probably one of the most vivid pictures of uh, us first them culture when i write in a book about in group out group i talk yeah. about people who are like me versus people who are not like me yeah. and the people who are like me get preferential treatment called mm-hmm. in group bias yep and but if i see you and you're a different ethnicity you're a different socioeconomic level cuz i know you make millions of dollars more than me to, yeah. <laughs> and but if i say well i'm going to look for something we have in common mm-hmm. that makes us makes you part of my in-group. If I could define that, decide that, and identify that, then we can have a better relationship. Yeah. Jesus died for us because he saw the image of his Father in us and him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, many other reasons he did, too. That's good. So what does the church risk if it can't get to the forefront of this conversation? Well, the church is hypocritical. Yeah. You know, Sunday's the most segregated time of the week. Yeah. Whites go to church together. Blacks go to church together. Hispanics, Latinos go to church together. Puerto Ricans go to church with Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. Mexicans go to church with Mexicans. I mean, I'm generalizing, which is what we do with stereotype, right? Yeah. But 90, 97% of churches are segregated, mm-hmm. where they have 80% or more of one ethnicity in the church. Now, does that mean all those people are racist? Not necessarily. Um, however, the optics and the the lessons we're teaching our kids mm-hmm. and, and and even some of ourselves. I mean, our church is very diverse. It's always been that way. We could talk about that in a few minutes. But there are people in my church who say, I go to The Rock, our church, just so I can sit next to a black person or a Puerto Rican person because and feel comfortable. That's why I come, because it gives me that opportunity. Mm. Because if I was outside the church, I wouldn't want to be on the same side of the street as that same person. Hmm. So now that statement's problematic, but at least they're there <laughs> taking the first step towards fixing that problem by yeah. being in the church. Um, and so as pastors, we we have to realize that we are here to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ who loves everybody equally and he died for everybody and he put his image equally in every person. And am I carrying the burdens of the people in my community? Do I understand? Yeah. Do I care about the burdens? Or am I only caring for the people who are like me? 
Am I only concerned to please the people who are like me? Those are the questions pastors have to ask themselves because it, there's a there's a practice that was uh, in the 50s called redlining. Have you ever heard of redlining? No, tell me so about it. So redlining was where banks would take a red marker and draw a marker around a community, a minority community, mm. and say, we're not going to loan in this community. It was called redlining, literally. And they mm. would, Or when will you loan in this community, you're going to hike the rates up or you're going to put different conditions on it. So they would redline a community. And you can read about it. It's it's, it's um, Interesting. well-documented thing. It happens now a little bit, but mostly uh, back in the 50s. And, and um, Churches redline. They say, this is our community. And uh, often, it's the people who are like us. Yeah. The black church it has a black community. The white church, I mean, the Hispanic church, they have the Hispanic part of town. We're over here. And it's very subtle, and it's very, uh, in, in many people's minds, understandable. Well, these are people like me. Why would I go minister to people who aren't like me? Well, let me tell you, because they are like you. Yeah, They're more like you than not. You're focused on one thing, and you're focused on stuff the devil put in your head about why you can't relate, how they think about you, how they're going to receive you or not, and, and the devil's a liar. We have, we have more in common with people. And, but we redline, and, all, and I'm not talking about white people only. Every church, every ethnicity does their own little form of redlining. Well, we handicap our church because if I only have white people in my church or only have black people in my church or only have mm-hmm. Puerto Ricanos, how am I going to minister to people who are not like me? I can't. But my, my chances are going to be low. So I just cut off. The grand pop, the, the percentage of the population that's not like me to ever minister to them, mm-hmm. and that devil has just duped me. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, ministry leaders, you've been listening. There's a lot here. Let me encourage you to check out the third option uh, by Miles McPherson. It's a great book that talks to us about how we can begin to move past the us versus them mentality and see the image of God in others and begin to have healthy conversations and hopefully build. Um, churches that reflect the creation of God, right? Which right. is in every color and um, and moving more towards that. And I want to encourage you actually to swing by on our next podcast. Uh, Pastor Miles and I are going to talk about how we can actually begin to build multicultural teams in our churches. So I want you to do that. But um, as we close today as well, let me encourage you to stay connected with the ministry of Pastor Miles. You can check out his website at Miles McPherson, M-I-L-E-S-M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N.com. Here you'll find... Uh, what Pastor Miles is up to, some more about his ministry, and you'll find information about how you can get a copy of that book, The Third Option. So please join us next time so we can continue this conversation about how we can build ethnically diverse leadership teams in our local churches. We'll see you next time on the Collide Leadership Podcast. The Collide Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Creative a brand strategy and design studio for churches, ministries, and nonprofits. Take your organization to the next level through branding, web design, and video. Check them out at rethinkcreative.com.